Well, hello to you, my friends, and goodbye to 2021. This is Dick Foth with stories to make sense of it all. And I've been just thinking these past few weeks about, again, what a year 2021 has been, what a year 2020 was before that, all connected to the things that I don't even have to name for us to know. But I know one thing, that many of the uncertainties and ongoing uncertainties have generated in us and folks around the world angst, anxiety, anxiousness, fear, being scared, whatever. And I'd, I'd sort of like to leave that behind if I could. Now, I know it's not possible to leave it all vestiges of that, but I think we can get a different angle on it as we keep thinking about what it is that is both the opposite of fear and the antidote to it. Some years ago, in the summer of 2016, I was in Washington, D.C. and spoke at a congregation there, a National Community Church, and spoke on the subject of From Fear to Faith. It had been a tough week. There had been an African-American man that had been uh, shot by the police in Minneapolis. There had been another African-American man shot by the police in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And there had been five police officers uh, killed by a sniper in Dallas. So it was a very upsetting week, a lot of strain, not only in those communities, but across the country. And it seemed appropriate to speak to that theme. And even though it might seem a little strange to end the year talking about fear, I'm really ending the year talking about what it means to have faith in the middle of all that. So here it is, July of 2016, Washington, D.C., and hopefully it will be of help. God bless. I'll be back in just a bit. Moving mountains. Every morning in my home in Windsor, Colorado, I get up, fix a little cup of coffee, and look out to the west, and I see mountains. We're about 10 miles from the Rockies. We're at 5,000 feet. And um, I used to tell people that here in D.C., when I lived here for 15 years, people would come and you always give them tours. Ruth said I could get another job as a tour guide. I just like showing them stuff. I always drive down GW Parkway and say, that changes every time you see it. It's different colors. It's Alpine Glow on the Washington Monument, all that kind of stuff. And I tell people, I used to give people tour of the monuments. Now I give them tours of the monumental. That in Colorado, there are 96 mountains over 14,000 feet in the United States, continental United States, and 53 of those are in Colorado. I've often thought about those 500,000 or so pioneers that came out of St. Joe, Missouri and came across on the Oregon Trail between 1843 and 1869. What were they thinking when they saw those? How do we get through those? How do we get over those? And they discovered something that we see every evening. When the light hits those mountains in the morning, it looks like just mountains. But when the light is a different way in the early evening, it illuminates the various ranges and you realize that there are those mountains and then a valley, then those mountains and a valley, and those mountains and a valley, and those mountains. And it goes on forever. 
This is not just a mountain. This is a range of mountains. This weekend, I want to speak to you about fear to faith. How do we get from fear to faith? Because fear is not just a mountain. My experience is that I'm scared of a lot of stuff over the years. I've been scared of a lot of stuff. Fear is a, is a range of mountain. Anybody here ever been at, well, I know the answer to that. Of course you have. All of us have been afraid. I think it was a dozen years, maybe it was 15 years ago. Pastor Mark was younger anyway. And we were over at Union Station down in that theater and he was speaking on fear. And I'll never forget it. I can't remember the scriptures or anything, but I remember the illustration. The illustration was he had Googled it if Google was in then or however he found out in his ferreting out of details. He said there are at least 2,000 different kinds of fears, everything from fear of heights to the fear of peanut butter on the roof of your mouth. I remember it clearly. Do I have this right? And, and then he said, and babies, their basic two fears are the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Those are the two big fears. My wife, Ruth, has flown all over the world with me for 40 years. And 10 years ago, she said, you know that flying thing? Why don't you do that? I don't want to do that anymore. But when he said the babies have the fear of falling and the fear of let, she punched me and said, I'm normal. It's that fall with the loud noise at the end. I don't want any part of that. Why do we get afraid? Simple. Because we're human. That's what humans do. They get afraid. Psychologists talk about the fear flight syndrome and all that. <coughs> but if you read the literature today, read the articles, you say, they will tell you that we have never lived in a more anxious age generally, an age of unspecified anxiety. And a lot of times I'll, I'll ask young people, so what do you, what do you think? What, what's going on in your world? And they'll say, I'm overwhelmed or I'm troubled. Or not, not all of them say that, but, but you, you hear that a lot. There's this, things could go wrong, or I can't get it right, or it's out of control, or there's too much this or that. And over the past few weeks, the, the anxiety in some quarters is not unspecific or unspecified anxiety. It's gotten very specific. We do have a mountain. And I just want to say a couple of things real quickly about the events of the last few weeks and way before that for some. We were a country hurting this weekend. If one of us hurts, everybody hurts. There are wailings in Minnesota and Louisiana and Dallas, Texas because of fear that got rolling, if you will. And when there is injustice, it breeds fear and frustration and hate and hate lashes back with more injustice. That's just how it works. There are many voices that say, choose a side. In this moment, God is saying, choose my side. And my side is one that says, come, let us reason together. My side is one of, I've made you ambassadors of reconciliation. We cannot we cannot solve everything. We can't get our heads around a lot of stuff. But what we can do is to say, God, you are more powerful than our device. My Jesus who knows injustice 
took the lash of hateful men. We cannot be indifferent to fear or injustice or misunderstanding and above all prejudgments. To prejudge somebody on the color of skin or the color of a uniform, to prejudge people. I'm just a grandpa talking to you here that, that I've seen a lot over the years. I remember when this city was on fire back in 1968, when things were happening right and left, when we had curfews in the town I lived in because people were afraid. But fear creates mistrust and faith builds trust. It's time for us to let the faith work out. Faith without works is dead. One of the works is to pray. One of the works is to speak up. One of the works is to, to make a friend, to forget that judgment and just make a friend. I, um, I pray for transformed hearts because when we have transformed hearts, it doesn't happen overnight, but then there are transformed cultures and transformed cities. That's more than I was going to say, but the God that we serve is bigger than what we're experiencing now. And when we band together, what is the one thing I can do? Can I take somebody who's different than I am, either in color or in role? Can I take them to lunch? Can we have, whatever it is, I just sort of toss that out there and say, Lord, help us to have your wisdom to know what to do, but let's not just stand by. Let's not be indifferent to what is real and what's happening. So we live in this anxious age Listen to our language. We want to have safe conversations in safe places with safe people. That's interesting language. We live in a world that's inundated with information. I, I know too much. I hear too much. I follow too much. The other night, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I turned on my newspaper app on my iPhone. I'm a sick person. Don't do that because it messes up the rest of your night. You find out stuff that happened in Tierra del Fuego or in Iceland or some other place. And, you know, so I know too much. I hear too much. Sometimes I fall, it's just too much. If I'm not careful, I get to the place that I'm afraid of what I do know and I'm afraid of what I don't know. And God comes along in the midst of that and says, unless we do something purposeful, fear wins. Fear is natural. It's a default place. If we don't choose something else, it chooses us. Let me say that again. Fear is a natural default. We heard it. Fear of falling, fear of loud noises. I start out with that. If I don't choose to do something else, fear chooses me. Our eldest granddaughter, Allie, who's now 24 and married, when she was a little girl, she woke up one night. Her folks had taken her to SeaWorld in California, where they have sea lions and they have killer whales and all of this. And she woke up in the middle of the night crying and her mom went into her and said, and said, Allie, what's the matter? She said, I'm afraid of seals. And she said, it's, it's okay. You know, I know we saw the seals and the whales. She said, I'm afraid of whales too. And she said, and Jesus, here's the way, here, here, Jesus is here with you. And she said, I'm afraid of Jesus too. It's not good when you're afraid of Jesus too. Fear is not just a mountain, it's a mountain range, and it wears lots of outfits. I'm not a fashionista, as you can tell, but, I, but the, you, know, you, have, you have the beige worry ensemble. 
You have the anxiousness outfit with its yellow top and matching shoes. And then you have the bright red collection called paranoia. Fear just pops up when something bad happens. I was traveling some years ago. I was in a hotel in Salt Lake City. The telephone rang. I'd had some tests at a doctor's office in Arlington. And they called and said, uh, can you come see the doctor tomorrow? I said, I'm in Salt Lake City and I've driven out here. I can't. They said, well, we got the test results back. And usually if they're great, they don't say like, come in tomorrow. And uh, I said, well, can you tell me what the results are? She said, I'm, I'm a nurse. I'm not the doctor. I can't tell you that on the telephone. And so for four days, I knew I had something. Well, I knew that it was cancer. I didn't know how bad it was. That's what I didn't know. And so for four days, I was just at various levels of scared. You say, but you've been with Jesus a long time. Like, you shouldn't be scared. I know, but I was scared. So not only, not only am I scared, but then you get guilt on top of that because you're not supposed to be scared, right? Yeah. And I started looking at Scripture. I thought may maybe there were some guys in Scripture who were scared. And I, I think Adam was probably scared when he found out he was naked and hid behind the tree. I think Abraham was scared he was going to be called out, so he lied about his wife and called him his sister. I think Moses, when he stood in front of the burning bush, he was scared. He didn't want to go to Egypt. His picture's on all the posters in the post office there, wanted for murder. He's scared. He didn't want to go there. You got Elijah, God's prophet. I've talked about this a lot of times here. Here he has this huge day on Mount Carmel. He takes out all the bad prophets. There's fire from heaven. There's rain after three and a half years. He outruns a chariot. I mean, he, he's a stud. He's a good. And this woman, Jezebel, sends him a note, text probably, Instagram with a picture of her. <laughs> picture of herself says, by this time tomorrow, you are dead meat. And it says that Elijah, the quintessential prophet of God, was afraid and ran for his life. And I'm saying, what's with that? Well, it may be spiritual warfare, but it's still warfare. And you get worn out. And it's easy for fear to show up. Sometimes I say, maybe if I were a disciple, if I just actually walk with Jesus physically, I wouldn't be scared, you know, because he's there, right? Listen to this text. It'll be on the screen. Mark, the sixth chapter, 47 through 52 verse. Jesus has just, has just fed 5,000 people miraculously with a few loaves and fish, right? He's up on the hillside, and these guys are going across the lake in a fishing boat, probably 15, 20 feet long, pretty good size, and, and they... And they're struggling because they're rowing against the wind. Listen to what it says. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake. This is the Sea of Galilee. And he was alone on the land, Jesus. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. Well, why not? And so he was about to pass by them. That had freaked me out, just that, just if he passes by. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost, obviously. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. They just weren't anxious. They weren't just worried. They were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. 
Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves, and their hearts were hurt. See, they hadn't even gotten the miracle part, and now he's walking on the water. It's just too much. It's too much knowledge. It's too much information. It's too much experience. It's too much wind in my face. It's just too much. But I love the phrase, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. I have a, a Jewish brother friend who's gone on now, but he was brought up in Brooklyn, and he said... His mother always said to him, Art, this was her mantra, Art, grow up, get a good job, and marry a nice Jewish girl. He said, I heard that so many times in my life, I thought it was one word, okay? <laughs> this is what Jesus shouts in the storm, I think, because that, that middle phrase there, it says, take courage, it is I, that's good English, right? Don't be afraid, but it, it is I in the original language is ego me, I am. Take courage, I am, don't be afraid. Have a heart, take heart, I am, don't be afraid. I think it might have looked something like this. <laughs> take courage, I am, don't be afraid. It says he said it, but he had to have shouted it. He was in a storm for Pete's sake. Take courage, I am, don't be afraid. Why don't you just say that with me? Take courage, I am, don't be afraid. One word. Take courage, I am, don't be. A little louder because we're in a storm. Take courage, I am, don't be afraid. In the middle of it all is the great I am. I've said this dozens of times here in this congregation, but you guys keep moving through. I mean, you're, you're going here and there, and it's so it's different people sometimes I'm saying this to. Okay? I am is the most secure name in the universe. This is not a Western God. This is not I do that I do. This is I am, the God who is. When everything else goes up in smoke, he still is. When I don't know what to do because I have unspecified anxiety, he still is. When specific stuff ha happens that just scares the bejeebers out of me, he still is. It's the most secure name in the universe. I'm a fifth grader in Oakland, California. It's dark in my room. I was a little scared. So I sang every song I knew because I had a theory that if I sang songs, it'd keep the stuff away. So I sang every school song, every church song, every, and pretty soon I'd start calling my mom. It was a small bungalow-like house, like a craftsman house from the 1920s. And I started calling my mom, mom, mom. You say, well, why she's like 30 feet in there. Why don't you get out of bed and go, hey, if you're in the fifth grade and it's dark in your room, you are not getting out of your bed to go find your mom because the guy under the bed will grab your ankle. You're not, and if he doesn't get you, the one in the closet will. You're not doing that. I said, mom, and pretty soon, pretty soon she'd say, what is it, Dick? And I'd say, oh, nothing. I just needed to know you were there. Now, I'm, I'm seven decades out from that, you know. I don't call my mom anymore. I say stuff like, God, God, God. He says, what is it, Foth? I say, oh, nothing. I just needed to know you were there. And then when I know he's there, I get more bold. I say, you see this, you see this thing right here? Do something here. Do something. And he says, Foth, you don't do anything. You just be still and know that I am. This is the God 
who's the most secure person in the universe. And when I stand in him, when, when I am in Christ, I start absorbing his security into my life. I was looking through some notes just the day before yesterday, and I came across a message that I spoke here on September the 9th, 2001, the Sunday before 9-11. And the title of the message was Security Unlimited. And I used the text of I am with Moses standing in front of the burning bush. Who shall I say has sent me? Tell him the I am has sent you. 48 hours after I preached that, 9-11 happened. A week later, I was in the Capitol Rotunda. There's a little chapel that was built in the Eisenhower years off of the Capitol Rotunda where members can go to be quiet and pray and reflect. Any member can go there. And I was there with a little group of congressmen, two or three fellows. We met every Tuesday at 4 o'clock, and of course on 9-11 we didn't, but on the 18th of September that year we met. And when we came out, the two chaplains, Lloyd Ogilvie and Jim Ford from the Senate and the House, had called for a prayer gathering for the members of the House and the Senate in the rotunda, whomever wanted to come. And we walked out, and the rotunda, there were chairs and kneeling benches in circles all around the rotunda. And that September sunlight was coming in those high places up there, and it just bathed the room in gold. And there was an officer there and an officer there and just the congressman and me standing there. And it was like a sanctuary. It was a moment, I will never forget, that in our greatest fear, the leaders of a nation were called to prayer, and they showed up. Where do you turn when fear knocks at the door. Where do you turn when fear knocks on the door? I love that line that says, when fear knocks and faith answers, he finds no one there. Listen to this passage of Scripture, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Why don't you... Um, read out loud with me those first two or three verses. If we can put that slide back up. Just read it with me aloud, would you? God is our refuge and strength in ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy place where the Most High dwells. I think when we imbibe of truth, when we ingest truth into our, into our lives, and we pray that, and we think that, and we live there, we can wake up in the morning without that unspecified anxiety out there. What do we need to understand about how fear works and how we overcome it? There's a passage in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy that reads like this. 
Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. And I'm reminded of your sincere faith. There's that word, that faith word. Your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you, this generational peace. A lot of us sit here tonight, not because we woke up one morning and said, I think I'll just have a faith experience. I think I'll just be transformed. A lot of us sit here tonight because we had a grandmother who prayed when we were out wandering and didn't know which end was up. We had a mother who came and stood in the gap when I didn't know who I was and she came to remind me. Or somebody like them in our lives who came and walked with us. For this reason, Paul says, I remind you, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And then this phrase, for the spirit, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The three antidotes to fear are power, love, self-discipline, or reason, judgment. The word that's used here for fear is a word that means cowardice, something that makes me want to run. But the things that overwhelm it are power, love, and discipline, judgment, or reason. I've, I've shared this story several times here before, but I like sharing this story, and so I'm going to share it again. And it was when, again, I was like in the fifth grade, and I lived across the street from a school called Horace Mann School. And I was over there playing with my buddies after school one day. This is in the early 1950s. And um, these big kids came over. They were like eighth graders, giants. Because when you're in the fifth grade, like an eighth grader is close to God. I just like to say that. He's a mean God, but he's like God. And so this kid came over, he was intimidating us, and he lined several of us up and was throwing a little knife. It wasn't anything, it was just this little serious, it wasn't serious at all. It was just, and, and I ran back across the street, and as I ran back, my dad pulled up in his 1951 Chevy slant back. Some of you old people will know that car. And, and he got out of the car, and he said, Dick, what's wrong? And I said, nothing. But parents know stuff. He said, what's wrong? I said, there's a big kid that was scaring us over there. I, he said, where is he? He said, I, I don't know where he is. I don't want to find out where he is. I don't know. <laughs> he said, let's go find him. I said, no, 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 let's not go find him. He said, Dick, get in the car. My dad was six, two and three quarters and 240 pounds. And he looked good. I don't know, it skipped a generation. I don't know what happened. <laughs> but we get in the car and we drive up Ignacio Avenue. We're coming down the far side and there's that kid. He's walking home, I guess. And my dad pulls the car up beside him. And he, sit, and he hops out of the car and he says, son, son, excuse me, could you, could you come here? And I got out of the car on the other side and I'm standing back behind my dad over here. And, and he said, son, now Dick here says that you've been scaring him and some of his students. He's, oh, we were just fun. <laughs> it was just not. He said, no, no. And he's looking down on him. You know, he said, uh, he says you really scared him badly. And he, he said, well, we were just, he said, my dad said, okay, I get it. We're okay. But you need to understand something. If that ever happens again, you will not be dealing with Dick. You'll be dealing with me. And I'm behind him going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because when, 
when power is present, the fear goes away. And here's the Jesus who comes in and says, when the enemy comes after you, he's got to go through me first. He's going to get some of this if he comes after you. That's the God that we serve. Power overwhelms fear. Love overwhelms fear. What causes a mother with a child in a burning building to break through a police cordon and firefighters and race into a building to try to save her child, whether she can or not? What does that? Love does that. Love overwhelms fear. And if we can sit down and think some things through so I can help you understand or you help me understand why I don't need to be afraid, that overwhelms fear as well. Fear and faith can live in the same room. If we don't do anything, fear will choose us. So we choose to trust the great I am. I choose to believe that God is. I choose to believe that God knows. I choose to believe that God cares. I choose to believe that God will act for his glory and my good. I choose to believe, like it says in Romans 8, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purposes. I close with this story. I'm 35 years old, living in Urbana, Illinois. The telephone rings, and it's a small college that I graduated from in California. And they call up and say, we'd like you to consider letting your name stand for president of this school. It was a small college, and uh, I love the school. And they said, there's another person that's also being considered. Long story short, we went through the process, and it came down to a, to a vote. And um, they voted five times five different hours on this given morning. The trustees did, and it was tied. And then some guys had to leave. They voted again. And the other gentleman got the vote, and the board chairman called me back and said, so-and-so has been, has, uh, has been chosen as the president. And I said, I, I know him. He's a great guy. He'll be a great president of the college. And, uh, and I hung the phone up, and I turned to my wife. I turned to Ruth. I said, Ruth, I just have this un uncanny feeling I'm going to get another phone call. Three weeks to the day, my telephone rings. And it's the chairman of the board saying, the other gentleman, after prayer and thought, has decided that he should not come. Would you reconsider? I said, and, and if you've never been second choice, you need to try it. It's, a, it's good for you. Never be scared of being second choice. I just like to say that. And so, and so I, I said, I need a couple days. And I hopped in the car and drove home. I walked into the house. And Ruth was standing. We had one of these split landing. And she's standing at the top of the stairs. And I said, Ruth, you'll never guess who called. She said, who? And I said, the chairman of the board at the college. And she said, my quiet Ruth, oh, dear God. <laughs> now, she's not used to exclaiming like that. And I said, why, why are you saying that? She said, two hours ago, I was standing kneading dough for pizza at the counter. And this thought came through my head, you're going to be the wife of the next president of Bethany Babaka. And she said, I thought it was the devil, so I rebuked it. <laughs> And then the voice came again. My timing is right. I am faithful. I am true. And um, when she said that, I knew it was over. They, haven't vote, they hadn't voted again, but I, I knew it was done. But I was anxious. And I went in the, in the bedroom, and I laid on the bed, and I started thumbing through Scripture. Just, you know, one of those moments where you do, just do that. You know, one of those, just trying to find some. said, if I'm supposed to do this, and you've done this thing with Ruth, why, why am I so anxious? And I felt like the Lord turned me to Philippians 2, where it says that Jesus let go of his glory, didn't hold on to it like a prize, but took on the, the, the cloak of a man, took on 
the form of a man and died a criminal's death. And then I felt like the Lord said, and it wasn't a voice, but I felt like he impressed me and said, um, your, your problem is you know you can pastor. You're not sure you're con- you can president, and uh, you're afraid to fail. Aren't you glad I wasn't? And I'm saying, ooh, I wish you hadn't said that. <laughs> I called them. They voted. They chose us. I went. What I didn't realize is that they, I, I don't know if I hadn't looked closely enough, but they, they, they had a debt that needed to be paid in 60 days, and it was $100,000. And this is 1978, so that's big money. That's like millions now. And, and so they had a gathering with all of these pastors and all of the delegates at this big meeting in the municipal auditorium in a place called Redding, California. And uh, they said, stand up and share some of your vision for the school. And I just stood up. I'm this just-turned-36-year-old guy, and I said, I, w- I want to have a college where people have cool heads and hot hearts for God. I want them to always be learners. I want them to be practical mystics, people who are two inches off the floor but not off the wall. You know, I w- that, that sort of thing. And then I said, and, and by the way, we need 100 grand in 60 days. And I sat down. And there had been a lot of back stuff, a lot of junk going on in this, in the, in this area. And, and a pastor jumped up and said, we'd like to give $1,000 for that need. Somebody else said, we'll give a thousand. Somebody else said, we'll give a thousand. And within 20 minutes, they had $32,000 raised. We had to stop because they had an ordination service that night. And the next morning we came back and they said, let's say a few more words. I said a few more words and they started again. And the youth groups were saying, we'll do 50. Another one said, I'll, we'll do a hundred. It was like poker. I'll see you and raise you, whatever it was, you know. And, and they just, and finally a young man came walking down the aisle and he had tears running down his face. He said, I've always wanted to go to the college. But two years ago, we were ready to go, and my wife was pregnant. Then last year, we were going to go, and she had kidney surgery. And now this year, we're getting ready to go again, and she's pregnant. And so, and so I'm going to commit $200, but I don't have $200. And he went back, and he sat down, and an old man in the back row jumped up and said, you just got your 200 bucks, son. And somebody jumped up and said, and we'd like to pay for those baby expenses. And somebody else jumped up and said, we'll pay for the first semester. Somebody else said, second semester. We got that boy through his junior year in college in five minutes, and the place went nuts just nuts. They were whistling and cheering and shouting. By one o'clock that afternoon, they had raised $156,000. They had paid for two babies. They had given each other monies. It was this unbelievable thing. And the guy comes to the microphone and said, you've got all my money. I've been here like four times. You got all my money. But I got to tell you that I've said some things about leadership I shouldn't have said, and I want to confess and ask your forgiveness. And the chairman of the board was a little shaken, and he said, well, Sure, you know, and then all of a sudden they're five deep at these microphones because they were, you know. And finally, an old cowboy sitting in the front row from Chowchilla, California, said, Mr. Chairman, point of order. He said, I just want to say this. Um, if we keep this up, we're going to be here all night. He said, apparently a lot of people here need to repent. So I'd like to make a motion for repentance. Would that be an order? And the chairman said, well, yes. Yes, it would. Uh, any seconds to that? And he said, yeah. he said, all of you here who need to repent, because you've said crummy stuff and backbiting, gossip, you need to repent. Stand up. And like 200 preachers and their wives stood up. <laughs> and he banged his gavel and said, you are forgiven. And the place went crazy. And somebody said to me, isn't it tremendous that you had the faith to come and do this, Dick? I said, I didn't have, I was scared. It was that guy over there. The guy that stood up and said, we'll give $1,000, the first guy 
that when he stood up in faith, the Holy Spirit said, here's an opening, and there he came. And to this day, if you go to that part of California and say, do you remember April 1978 in Reading Municipal Auditorium? People will look back and say, we never were part of anything just like that. It was a moment when the Spirit showed up because somebody in faith trusted God and the mountain was moved. Here is a range of mountains called fear. And when we trust God, we put our whole weight on him. He carries us over the mountain range of fears because he loves us the most. He is stronger than all. And he has the big picture, big picture in his sights. So we close tonight. I'm going to pray. But I'd like you just to do something with me real quick. On the count of three, I'd just like you to take a deep breath and just imagine yourself just putting all your weight on Jesus. You say, that is so cheesy. I don't. It's not cheesy. He says, cast all your burdens on me, and I'll care for you. So on the count of three, let's just take a deep breath and do that. One, two, three. Thank you, Lord, that we rest in your care, that your vision for us is way bigger than our vision for ourselves. And for the one who walked in here just as a last resort, scared to death. We pray that he or she will know your renewal. For the one who is, is, has been feeling fear and can't quite put a finger on it, thank you for touching that one tonight. Thank you that you are the great I am, and we stand in that. In Jesus' name. Well, all of that being said, I'd like the privilege, if I might, of just sort of praying us out of 2021 with this thought. Lord, help us in the coming weeks and months to be folks who, when fear knocks at the door, faith will answer and find nobody there. Thank you that we have the capacity to trust even in our most anxious moments. And may 2022 be a time where rejoicing will be on our lips, where laughter will be there more than it has been in these past months. We are grateful to be able to spend this time together. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. That's it, my friends. I'm out for 2021. Catch you in the new year. God bless.